So let's open in our Bibles to Romans chapter 10. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And I am battling a cold this morning, so I appreciate your prayers. Okay, here the page is dying down, so I'm going to move this, otherwise I'll end up knocking it over. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we thank you so much for the, the privilege and the honor we have to be called by the name of your Son, Jesus, to know you and, and to have this great future awaiting us where we're going to see you and hear your voice. And today you've given us the privilege to walk by faith and, and to hear your voice through your word. And so I ask that you would speak to each and every single person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, long before I ever saw sharing the gospel as something that was extremely important for a Christian to do, I met a man whom the Lord used to greatly inspire me. He was a street evangelist named Casey, and I met him on the streets of San Francisco on the Embarcadero. I was down there waiting for my grandmother, who led me to the Lord. I was waiting for her to pick me up, and I heard this this gospel music, this praise music from a boombox. And so I wandered over to the sound of the praises coming out of this boombox, and I saw this man who was just standing in the middle of the sidewalk talking to people, really anybody, strangers, anybody who would give him the time of day. And he was talking to them about Jesus. And I thought, wow, this guy has got a serious passion. He's got a real heart for these people and I spoke with him and he told me that that he wanted people to experience and to receive what he himself had experienced and received and that was the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ and he had this awesome vision that he showed me he had a map of San Francisco and different uh, locations mapped out where people would gather And this was his harvest field, and he saw himself as the tool in the hand of God. And I got to thinking, I got to thinking about my great-grandma. You know, she would never, ever go down to the streets of San Francisco. But that doesn't mean that she doesn't have a passion. That doesn't mean that she doesn't have a burden for lost souls. She's the kind of gal who would write a list of every single person that she knew that wasn't saved, and she would pray for them day after day after day, and she would welcome people into her house, Christian hospitality. She would love them and do uh, kind acts to try to bring them to Christ. So her passion and her burden for the lost just manifested itself in a different way. Well, all of this I see in Romans chapter 10. Paul talks about uh, us having a burden, a heart, a desire to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And then he talks in this passage about how simple it is for someone to get saved, how simple it is for someone to go to heaven, that all they have to do is confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, and they'll be saved. 
And then on top of that, he encourages us, us Christians who know the Lord, to go ahead and get this good news to the world. So that's Romans chapter 10. It's kind of a long text. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 15, so I'm not going to read all the way through it. We're just going to kind of work our way down, and we're going to gather our thoughts around three points. Um, Point number one will be a heart for the lost. Point number two, the simplicity of faith. And a point number three will be a call to action. So point number one, a heart for the lost, having a, a desire to see people come to know Jesus. Verse one, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now the Apostle Paul was a Jew. And he was born into a very strict Jewish family. He loved his heritage. He was the kind of guy who would have been walking around with a Jewish flag. He's the kind of guy that would have purchased things that were only made in Israel. Okay? He, was, he loved being a Jew. And he always knew what he wanted to be when he grew up. He wanted to be a well-respected Jewish leader. And so he studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And when he graduated from that school, he became a Pharisee, one who was set apart to do all the will of God, to obey all the law of Moses. And so he was well-respected and well-loved by all the people. They admired him and adored him. But when this guy got saved, when Paul became a Christian, when he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ... The people that once respected him and admired him and loved him now saw him as a fool. They looked at him like he was crazy, like, like he was an outcast and really like an enemy. They, the guy who once had the, the best seats in the house at church and the synagogues was now being cast out and thrown out of church. The man who was greeted and, 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 and the people would come to him on the sidewalk and say, Hail, Rabbi, he was now being shunned and snubbed and avoided. Now maybe you can relate. You, know, you were once part of the world and the world loved you, but then you became a Christian. And now people avoid you. And now people mock you. They think you're some sort of religious nut. They think you're crazy and they misunderstand you. But here's what I like about the Apostle Paul. Let's look at verse 1 again. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So he says, I know that they hate me. I know that they kick me out of the synagogues and they don't talk to me and actually they're trying to kill me. But I love them. These people are not my enemies. These are precious souls, precious human beings that God loves. And in reality, they're just blind spiritually, blind, uh, blind. They can't see the Lord. They can't understand the gospel. They're deaf spiritually. They're just separated from the life of God because of their sins. They're held captive by the devil to do his will. They're lost and they're living in darkness. They're in desperate need of the Savior Jesus Christ, and they don't even know it. That's how he feels about these people who are treating him in this way. So he says, no, I don't hate them. 
I don't ignore them. I don't avoid these people. And neither should we. We shouldn't avoid people who treat us like this. We are their only hope. We are the ones who carry the gospel to the world. And Paul says, rather, I desire for them to come to know Christ. And I go beyond that. I pray for them. He says, I pray for them. Now I think of all the Christians in this room. And I bet every single one of you, someone was praying for your salvation. You sit here today because the Lord used the prayers of someone to bring you to Christ. Whether it was your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, a friend or a stranger, someone was praying for your salvation. I think of Cedric, or Cedric. I think of Cedric. Just a few months ago, this young man was so far from God, doing his own thing, living in the world. For, I don't know how long he was doing that, years perhaps. But all that while, his mom and his dad, Troy and Jenny Pribble, were praying, God, please bring our son to faith. And because of their prayers... Because they looked to the Lord and believed him, Cedric sits here today as a vibrant young Christian on fire for Jesus Christ, serving the Lord, a blessing to everyone he comes in contact with. I think of Roy and Karen Mitchell. Awesome people. Karen came to church for years, years without Roy. She was a believer. He wasn't. He was doing his own thing, but she was praying. She was seeking the Lord. She desired for him to come to know Christ. And so she put some feet to that desire and started seeking God. And because of that, today, Roy sits here in our fellowship and worships God with us. He's filled with the Spirit, filled with wisdom. He's a deacon. He's a leader in this church. Fantastic. Here's what the Bible has to say about your prayers. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man, the prayer of someone who has a connection with God through Jesus, the prayer of a Christian is powerful and it's effective, okay? So we should be a people who pray for the lost because God answers those prayers. Are you praying for people who don't know the Lord? Now, Paul lays out his heart even more for us in chapter 9. In verses 2 through 4, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. So he says, I have great sorrow for lost souls. It brings me low. It makes me sad. It troubles me. When I think about another person, that God has made, a precious human being spending an eternity away from Christ. Great sorrow. He says it causes me unceasing anguish. It it brings this mental pain and, and distress upon my soul when I fathom another human being not making it to heaven. And he says something that is shocking here. He says, if it were possible, I know it's not possible, But if it were, I know my salvation is secure and I can't give that up. 
that once I'm saved, I'm always saved, and I can't give him my place. But if it were, and the Holy Spirit bears witness that I'm telling the truth, if it were, I wish I could be cursed and cut off. I would give up my place in heaven for another person. That's how much Paul loved people. And what's even more shocking about that is that Paul felt this way about the people who hated him, about a people who hunted him, the Jewish people. They followed him around, trying to kill him everywhere he went. They blasphemed the name of our God. They said that Jesus wasn't the way, that he wasn't Lord. Man, that's incredible that he felt this way about a people like that. Do you have people in your life who are hard and difficult to love? I have a friend down in Marin. He's not a Christian. We've been friends for four years. I see him on a weekly basis. Awesome guy. Really nice guy. We get along well. He knows that I'm a Christian. Sometimes we talk about Jesus. Sometimes we don't. He doesn't blaspheme my Lord. He doesn't do anything in his life that really troubles me. And I really desire for this guy to come to know Christ. It's really easy for me to want to see him come to know Christ because I like him so much. But there's another person in my life. I've shared the gospel with them. They want nothing to do with the gospel. That's fine. That's their choice. But they go beyond that. They say that I'm narrow-minded. They blaspheme my Lord. And they teach, they tell their kid to tell my kids that I teach them lies when I talk to them about Jesus. Or that I teach them lies when I speak about the Bible or when I, when I tell them about how I got saved. Ooh, that hurts. That makes me just want to say, I'm done with you. I don't want to think about you. I don't want to pray for you. That's hard. Paul overcame that. And I want to be a person who overcomes that. And I know you folks want to be that kind of person who loves that person in your life that is really hard to love. Now, the the reason that Paul overcame that is because he had Jesus Christ living in him. And if you're a Christian, you have Jesus Christ living in you. And so we can overcome. When I look at how Jesus is in the scriptures, let's look at that. Matthew chapter 9. Jesus looks out at a world, at the world, and he sees the people as harassed and helpless, as sheep scattered without a shepherd. And it says that he has compassion on them. He wants to bring them to himself. He longs for them. In Matthew chapter 11, he looks out at all the people and he says, Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You're burdened down. You're overwhelmed with the sins of this life. Come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. So he's inviting the world. Keep in mind, these were a people that it was hard for him to be around, I imagine. He was perfectly holy. And we're perfectly sinners. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus looks out at Jerusalem, which has rejected him. And he says, Oh, how I have longed to gather you to myself like a hen gathers its chicks. 
under its wing. So Jesus, is, his heart is filled with compassion for lost souls. He's inviting people. He's actually longing for people to come to him. He said this, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself, all people to myself. And he demonstrated that. He demonstrated his desire for each and every single person to come to him on the cross. Amen? When he was hanging there. He was the one who was, who was willing to be cursed for us. He was willing to be cursed. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He hung on a tree. And he was willing to be cut off. To give up his relationship with God the Father. You remember when he was on the cross? He screamed out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity, God the Father and God the Son, who are one, were separated. He was forsaken. He was willing to give up his place. Incredible. Now Paul reflected this type of heart. And so can you. And so can I. Because Jesus, the one who has this heart, is within us. Jesus gives us this awesome invitation. He says, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people out there who don't know me. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So here's what I want you to do. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Come to me and pray that I might raise up workers, that I might raise up you and send you out. I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my love for people. I'll give you a burden. Amen? Let's move on and look at our second point, which is the simplicity of faith. Verses 2 and 3, he says, For I can testify about them, the Jews, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So, uh, the Jewish people had a real zeal and a real passion uh, for God, and it really showed in their lives. Every Sabbath day, every Saturday, you'd find them in the synagogue, uh, listening to the rabbis preach from the Bible, from the scrolls, They would be singing hymns to God. You could find them in the temple offering their sacrifices to God. You could find them giving their tithes, giving their money. You could find them fasting. They even had the scriptures in little leather boxes on their arms and on their foreheads and written on the doorposts of their house that would remind them, hey, you need to love God and you need to serve Him. They had these holidays all throughout the year that they would remember all that God had done for them. So they had a real zeal for God, a real passion for keeping God's law. And like them, there are a lot of people today who have a real passion and a real zeal for God. Uh, I think of some people in my life. I, I know a Buddhist. He has a real passion and zeal for his God, for his religious system. He has little statues in his house. He has uh, posters. He has a holy book. He says prayers. I know a Jehovah's Witness. They go to uh, their weekly meetings and they go and they pass out uh, magazines and stuff like that. I know a few people who go to the Center for Spiritual Living, a New Age place. 
They make sure that they're at their weekly meetings. They make sure they say their prayers to the universe. They make sure that they do their meditations and they practice their yoga and they eat healthy. I think of the Mormon missionaries. Um, They're out very zealously and very passionately uh, knocking on doors and trying to get their message out to really anybody and to everybody that they can. Um, But just because you have a zeal and just because you have a passion doesn't mean that it's well-guided. You can have a zeal and you can have a passion that's not based on knowledge. Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, if you're going to worship God, you have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. You can't worship God however you want. There is a way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. Now, here was the problem. The majority of the people of Israel, like many people today, they took all they did, all of their deeds, and they said, this, this is my righteousness. This is why God accepts me. This is why God is going to look favorably upon me, and this is why I'm going to heaven, because I pass out awake magazines, or because I knock on doors, or because I meditate, or because I give money to charity, or because I go to church, or because I don't go to the bar, or because I don't say bad words, and so on and so on, or because I'm nice to people. The list goes on and on. And so with that kind of mentality, people are seeking to establish their own righteousness, their own right standing with God based on what they do. But there's a serious problem with that way of thinking. And the problem is the holiness of God. God is holy. God is without sin. God is perfect. And he is just. And he is the judge of all the earth. And he has uh, decreed that the wages of sin, the wages of our sin is death. And that the soul that sins shall surely die. And that he will give to each man according to what he has done. So, if you're expecting God to declare you innocent or declare you right in His sight based on your own good deeds or your own efforts or religious activities, then you better not mess up. Not even once. Ever. No bad days, no sick days, no bad thoughts, no bad words. Ever. That's impossible. That is impossible. But look at what he says in verse 4. Let's read that. He says, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. I like what uh, commentator Leon Morris has to say about this. He says, Christ is the end of the law as a way of obtaining righteousness. In other words, stop trying to do what can't be done. Stop trying to earn your way to God. It's impossible. You're going to fall short. Everybody does. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, The righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
Stop trying to do the impossible. What are you going to build a ladder to heaven, climb up there, and pull Christ down? That's impossible. No one can ascend to heaven. No one can descend into the deep. It's impossible. Stop trying to impress God. Stop trying to do things that cannot be done. It's impossible, and it's absolutely unnecessary because Jesus Christ has already come down 2,000 years ago. The Son of God became a man. He was born in Bethlehem. A virgin conceived him, the one who is from everlasting, the one who is to rule the nations, Jesus. And when he was on this earth, he lived that life that is impossible for us to live, the righteous life, the perfect life, perfect obedience to all of God's commandments. And then he died. He died on the cross in our place, taking all of our sins upon himself, buried. Three days later, rose from the dead. And that righteousness, that right standing with God that we so desperately need and that people are so desperately trying to earn is freely given. It is by grace that you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works lest anybody should boast or brag. The righteousness of God is freely given. It's so simple. It's near you, he says. It's in your mouth. You don't got to do nothing. You don't got to climb up to heaven. You don't got to go down here. You just got to say the word. Say the word. I think about my own conversion. I wasn't doing any great feats for God. I was so far from God. I wasn't climbing up to heaven. I wasn't obeying the Ten Commandments. I wasn't passing out magazines. I wasn't, saying, I wasn't doing anything. I was sitting in an RV, drinking beer, talking to my friend about demons. That's what I was doing the day that I gave my life to Christ, moments before I gave my life to Christ. The next thing I knew, I was on the phone with my grandma. And she says, do you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I said, yes. That's all I said. She said, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Yes. Amen. Boom. Saved. That's all it took. It's as simple as that. He says, all you have to do. This is how simple our gospel message is. This is how simple it is for anybody to get saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Agree with God about the person of Jesus, that he is Lord, that he is God. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which implies that he died in your place. This isn't rocket science, folks, not quantum physics. It's confession and belief. That's it. Anybody can do that. How many people in here got saved as a kid? A lot. My wife has a friend who was 91 years old when he gave his life to Christ. Old, young, anybody. Anybody can give their life to Christ. It's as simple as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. And that's the word of faith that we as Christians are to proclaim to the world. And that's what Paul is going to encourage us to do here in verses 14 and 15. Let's look at that. He says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So here we see the importance and the necessity of evangelism, of bringing the gospel to people. I like what a commentator has to say, John Stott. He says, the essence of Paul's argument is seen if we put his six verbs in opposite order. Number one, Christ sends heralds. He sends preachers. He sends people. These heralds preach. These people share the gospel. People hear. Hearers believe. Believers call. And those who are called are saved. I like that. So here we see how important all of you are to the world. We see how important you are to the world. See, God has determined that, that He would save the world through the message of the gospel, which is all about His Son, Jesus Christ. And He has decreed that He would get that message to people through people. He didn't want to use angels. I think about uh, a story in the book of Acts. There's a guy named Cornelius, and this guy was seeking God, but he wasn't saved. And so God sent an angel to him, and the angel told Cornelius to go and get Peter, and that Peter was going to share a message with him through which he would be saved. So God has decreed that he would use humanity to save the world, not his audible voice. He could, but he wants to use you, and he wants to use me to get this simple message this, this life-changing message to the world. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation, to every person. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe shall be condemned. So you are important. You are important to the world. God has commissioned you to share the gospel wherever you're at. Um, if we do not take this message seriously, this is how it will look. If nobody shares the gospel, nobody's going to hear the gospel. If nobody hears the gospel, no one's going to believe the gospel. If nobody believes the gospel, nobody's going to call on the Lord. If nobody calls on the Lord, guess what? Nobody gets saved. So do you see how important you are to the world? Do you see how important you, your life is down here on this planet? The world doesn't see you as important, but God does. Well, some of you might say, I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at sharing the gospel. I get nervous. I fumble my words. And besides that, no one ever gets saved. Well, the Lord hasn't called you to save anybody. He's called you to deliver his message to the people. He is the one who does the saving. 
The Bible says that you and I are co-laborers with Christ, okay? Some of us are called by God to plant seeds, whether that's through actually sharing the gospel message, inviting someone to church, or uh, doing a, a good deed in the name of Jesus in the sight of somebody. Some of us are called to plant seeds. Other of us are called to water. You could be behind closed doors praying for somebody. But in the end, God is the one who saves. I think about sports teams, a hockey team in particular. Uh, their goal is to get the little puck in the net. Okay, Simple concept. All right? And they're all working together, passing that puck back and forth, back and forth, all the way down the ice until one guy knocks it in, right? And he's usually the one that gets the credit. He scored the goal, right? But what if everybody else wasn't there? The guy who got him the puck, the guy who had the assist, were all important. We're all working together to get the gospel message out. I think of my own conversion. I can think of a handful of people that God used to bring me to Christ. When I was really young, some people brought me to church. Seed. God used it as a seed. I didn't think about it at that, at that time. But it was a seed because I remembered going to church. Uh, when I was in high school, I had this history teacher. He was a nice guy. He never said anything dirty. His jokes were really cheesy. He was really kind. I knew there was something different about him. It was his Christian character. Seed. Uh, when I was in college, um, there was a girl from high school that I saw at the college library, and she was on fire for God. She sat down and was, was talking to me about, about her testimony, about all that God was doing in her life. It must have been an hour. She told me all of her divine appointments and all about Jesus, and then she prayed for me. And then she gave me a Bible. Bam! That was like a whole bunch of seeds. <laughs> Powerful. I worked at a grocery store. I was a checker. Someone came through the line, a lady. She handed me a gospel track. I've told you guys this before. Two words on it. Born again. I've seen millions of pieces of paper in my life. Why do I remember those two words? I took it. Put it in my back pocket. I didn't read it, but I knew there was something special about this powerful seed. Okay? These people God called to plant seeds in my life. And all this time, behind closed doors, God had called someone to water those seeds. My little Nana, praying, Lord, save Jim Bob. Lord, save Jim Bob. Just watering those seeds. And then... Then came the time for my harvest. The Lord called up my grandma and said, I want you to lead this young man to Christ. And she led me to Christ. And here I stand before you today because of the collaborative effort of Christians, good deeds, prayers, gospel sharing, gospel track, church, all working together. And here I am going to heaven because of that. So all you do for your Lord is significant and important. God is using it. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's using it to impact people for eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to be Christians. 
Your grace is so amazing. Your mercy is overwhelming. Your kindness, your love, all that you have done and continue to do, we are so thankful. And we are just in awe that you would use us, that you have good works planned out for each and every person from before the foundation of the world for us to walk in. Thank you so much, God. I pray that you would show each person in this room how you're using them and that you would inspire them to continue to reach out. In Jesus' name, amen.